Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Andy Behrens, joined as usual by multi-sport fantasy legend Scott Pianowski and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over a hundred years. I'll tell you what satisfied me today and yesterday, a game of the year candidate on Sunday night football. Wow, that was good. Seattle and Arizona combined for 71 points, over 1,100 total yards. Uh, By the end of that thing, Kyler Murray was the number one fantasy quarterback on the season in terms of total points. Russell Wilson still number one in terms of per game scoring. (sighs) Tyler Lockett with an easy 203 touchdown. Like that was just fun. I didn't maybe get everything I wanted out of DK Metcalf, but we got that incredible highlight tackle by Metcalf. I don't know. I know you enjoyed it, Scott. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. Sunday night was uh, wonderful for a sports fan. Got my two TVs in my office. You had the World Series on the right-hand set. You had the Seahawks and the Cardinals. You know, we we kind of lucked out when they had to change that Raiders-Buccaneers game uh, from, from off the Sunday night slate, and then they yeah. put Seattle in there. I would be fine if they played every Seattle game as an island game. You know, That would be fine with me. And you know, The great Kevin Clark of the Ringer, Wall Street Journal, um, he, he joked a long time ago that the Seahawks have never played a normal game. And that just becomes more and more spot on every week as the Seahawks just play a, a backwards, crazy, nothing makes sense. They've lost the game. They've won the game. The game is over. The game is not over. There's so much fun. And, and obviously, it's, you know, Arizona Murray's athleticism, his arm strength is ridiculous. It was fun to see Chase Edmonds. I, nobody wants to see Kenyon Drake get hurt, but it was fun to see Edmonds get an expanded role that Metcalf plays. You talked about, uh, which to me is a callback to Ben Watson in the playoffs about maybe 15 years yeah. ago. We'll look this up if you're not familiar with it. Uh, Champ Bailey had a walk-in, but very much the same play, except Watson covered more ground. He was on the other side of the field, and he ran about 150 yards to clip Champ Bailey, not a slow player by any means, uh, Paul of Famer Champ Bailey, clipped him just about at the pylon. It was, to some degree, it wasn't clear what happened on the play. I know that I've curated my Twitter feed really well, because as soon as that Metcalf play happened, like five five different people that I follow in a row posted the same YouTube clip uh, to the Ben Watson play, which was pretty great. Yeah, one of my favorite moments on Twitter was that I, I mentioned that that was my favorite NFL highlight of all time that wasn't a Super Bowl play. I just offhand said that one day and like five or 10 minutes later, Ben Watson liked the, like the tweet. So I got to, I got to give some props to Watson and, and, you know, that 2005 Patriots team, you know, that, that may be the last year the Patriots had a winning record. I, I don't know what's happened in New England since then. Um, I think, I think oh, Tom Brady's won in the breakup, Andy. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. We'll actually get to some uh, some Patriots discussion a little bit later. This, of course, is a primarily pickups focused podcast, and we often prioritize positions here based on uh, the injuries in any given week. And there were a bunch uh, of notable injuries in week seven, but I, I don't think anything on Sunday was perhaps any bigger, more impactful for fantasy than Odell Beckham's season-ending ACL tear. I feel like maybe nobody nobody feels like, no fantasy manager out there might feel like Odell Beckham was carrying them exactly, and that's true. 
But he did enter the week as the overall wide receiver 16. He'd had some moments. He wasn't exactly a target hog. No, that's just not going to happen for anybody in Cleveland, right? About seven targets per game coming in. We know how Stefanski wants to win. We know how the Browns want to win. And it has a lot to do with the ground game. And it has a little bit to do with tight ends. And it has a lot to do with Baker Mayfield maybe throwing the ball 30 times or less. So, no, Odell Beckham was not set up for a surefire wide receiver one finish. But that is still a big piece, both for Cleveland to lose and for fantasy managers to lose. So why don't like before we get into all the replacement options at uh, at receiver, why don't we why don't we talk specifically a bit about what the Browns are going to do moving forward? Yeah, well, Richard Higgins had a hundred yard game uh, in that exciting Cleveland Cincinnati game. Frickin' highlight catch too, a huge late catch, uh, almost a miracle. The thing grab. that blew me away is that Mayfield started off zero for five. He threw the pick, and then he was he misfired on his next four pass attempts. You know, Beckham got hurt on the interception. Mayfield did not throw an incomplete pass the rest of the day. The only quote-unquote incompletion he had on his resume was a spike play in the final minute when they needed to, to kill the clock. And for some reason, the NFL has never changed. It's always bothered me. A spike should not count as an incomplete pass because it, it, it's not – right. know, it's just an attempt to kill the clock. And, uh, you know, but kneel downs count. You, you talk about all the time in bad beats. Somebody loses because of a kneel down. And, and maybe you're in a league somewhere where incomplete passes are a stat. I don't, I don't know. But – Mayfield's quality of play. I thought Mayfield was maybe one more bad series away from being benched for for Case Keenum, who has history with Stefanski, and he played out of his mind. And look, I know this sounds kind of hot takey to say this, but as talented as Beckham is, I wonder if the offense. You know, Beckham's kind of a, a quirky personality, and he's not the most consistent guy, and um, he does some weird things sometimes. I, I just wonder, they would love to have him on the field because he's talented and, and he's got incredible gifts and he's somebody the defense has to monitor at all times. And that's good. It tilts coverage. It, it, it enables you to do so many things. Even when you're not throwing him the ball, it's valuable to have a guy like that. But I wonder if maybe the offense might just have, I don't know, just something, things might be a little bit simpler now that the diva element of Beckham is off the team. I, I, I don't... I, take any joy in him getting hurt nobody enjoys that you know the guy at his peak is one of the five or six best receivers in the game but i feel like we haven't seen that in a while and i thought it was just interesting to see higgins pop and mayfield threw three touchdowns to tight ends who ostensibly aren't starters you remember they played that game without their starting running back so he's without a starting running back is you know you think his best receiver his best tight end you think and 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 mayfield has his best game of the season i I don't know. Maybe it's just the Bengals can't stop anything. And, and, and perhaps I'll just regret even positing that this could be a possibility. But I wonder, remember, Mayfield's best year was before Beckham showed up anyway, his rookie season. I just wonder if maybe the Browns, if there's there are pluses and minuses to losing Beckham. I don't think it's all entirely a minus. And, and I think Higgins has to be one of the, I'm not sure he's number one on my board, but he's certainly somebody I would be placing offers for on several of my teams this week. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, first of all, I, I thought Rashad Higgins was great, right? Caught all of his targets over a hundred yards, um, key catches too, huge catches that, that were not entirely, you know, all about Mayfield's ball placement that were just, they were just great grabs. So a veteran player. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he's probably in terms of players who are widely available in Yahoo leagues, he's probably not my number one, but he's really close. He's like a one a, I'd probably place the same offer for him that I would for some of the other guys at the top that we'll, that we'll talk about in just a bit. I don't think I'm willing to go as far as you are in terms of like thinking that it's even possible that a team might be better off without, without Beckham, at least the version of Beckham that we were getting, because I don't feel like they were, I don't feel like they were forcing throws to him, right? Like you look at his weekly target totals and nothing really jumps out. It's not like it's not like they were pumping 14 balls a week to him because he what he was going to make it miserable if they didn't. Right. Uh, he hasn't seen more than 10 in any week so far this season, doesn't have a 100 yard game and seemed relatively content, at least in terms of uh, midweek public comments, right? Seemed happy to be winning. You made another point there that I think is pretty critical, which is that he just tilts the field a little bit, and he is a problem in terms of in terms of coverage. He might not be peak Beckham in terms of uh, posing problems for opposing defenses, but he is a big problem that no longer exists. So, but... It, uh, on the other hand, like if this were going to happen to any team, if they were going to lose a marquee receiver, 
maybe it's best that it's Cleveland because Cleveland, I mean, we know how Cleveland wants to play and it's not primarily through their number one receiver, right? It's, it's again, it's the formula for that team until the, you know, it's great to see that they can win this way. Like that was a a really productive thing. Among the many great things that come out of this week for Cleveland is that they learn that they can win on the arm of Baker Mayfield. And it felt certainly going into this week, like they'd just been uh, saving themselves from him, right? Like managing him a little bit, not giving him, I mean, only a couple games this year with over 30 throws. So it was good to see that they could win this way. Obviously, it's good to see that they can win without Beckham. I don't, I don't think it's a team that's better without Beckham, but I, but I certainly think that they are just in terms of, of the game plans that they want to employ. They're a little bit insulated from an injury like this. Right. I, I do like the skill depth here. Maybe maybe a better way to frame it for me is that I don't think the loss of Beckham will be as significant as maybe the common idea may be on that. Um, and remember, as Beckham, as we look back on the season, you yeah. talk about him being what wide receiver sixteen or whatever he is. Most of that came from that three touchdown game against Dallas, and that that was the day where he caught a touchdown pass from Landry. He's got that great hose. <laughs> I, I want to see a Jarvis Landry pass every week, by the way, because that guy just just slings it. Seriously. And then he had that long uh, end around that that iced the game, the 60-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. So even on the day when he scored three times, only one of the touchdowns was from Mayfield. Now, what I like, so what I like w- with Cleveland, and, and I guess, again, I'll frame this. I, I, don't, I don't want to make this a hot take thing, and I'm not trying to, to you know, do any grave dancing on, on Beckham. I think Cleveland may be better suited to absorb this blow and it not to be a kill shot because yeah. I like Kevin Stefanski. I think he was the right guy to hire in a year where so many teams have offensive line problems. I mean, it's so hard to watch a Dallas football game right now because they can't block anybody. They have four non-starters in their offensive line. Cleveland's got a very good offensive line. They're a team that could lose a Nick Chubb and almost not lose a beat because Kareem Hunt is such a good player. We talked about how well Higgins played the secondary tight end. So when you combine the offensive line talent here, the depth of the skill players and the fact that I think they hit a home run when they hired Kevin Stefanski. Remember, this is a team that came back from the depths of Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens. We're just used to the Browns being mismanaged. It sure seems like they got the higher right for the first time in a while. And, you know, I, I think Cleveland's got a good chance to be a playoff team this year. Let me let me just throw some other wide receiver names at you from across the league. These are these are guys who are all rostered in uh, less than 50 percent of Yahoo leagues. And you you just you just take this any direction you want to go. These are these are sort of all the guys that I called out in the uh, in the pickups column. Sterling Shepard, widely available after being mass dropped when he hit IR, which I totally understand. So so he's now he's now about 70 percent available in Yahoo leagues. Brandon Ayuk now in a great situation. Obviously, Debo has the hamstring issue right now. He's about 50 percent rostered, so he may not be out there in most leagues. But, I, you know, that's my cutoff for this for this show. So I like to throw him out there. Cole Beasley having exactly the season that you might have expected from Julian Edelman. Higgins, we already mentioned. Tim Patrick. Nelson Aguilar coming off a big day and nine targets. And he's got Cleveland up next. I don't know. Who do you like there? Or maybe it's somebody not listed at all. Shepard's one of those guys, when he's on the field, I love him. I think he's probably the Giants' best receiver. And this is coming from somebody who really likes Slayton. But um, Shepard immediately gets back and and has an impactful game. I, I wish I had had the nerve to start him on some teams last week because I, I could have used, you know, 13 or 14 points or whatever he got. So I'm not confident necessarily that Shepard will last the full season because he's had some durability issues. But when he's on the field, I think we're going to see a lot like the line he gave us against Philadelphia on Thursday. So he'd be my first guy. And then I gravitate towards Ayuk because, look, we know Mike Shanahan, or Kyle Shanahan, I should say, he can be tricky with the backfield usage. We'll probably talk about that later. But you, they don't have the same type of luxury to be cute with their receivers. Right about, right now, Debo Samuel's hurt. And Ayuk mm-hmm. is much like a Samuel, except he runs more downfield routes. So this is the guy that Shanahan's going to be cooking up plays for all week. And now he gets the Seattle defense, as we know, can't stop anything. They're on pace to allow, what, like 7,000 passing yards? Just some crazy number that doesn't make any sense. It's like saying to you, Andy, I'll, I'll give you $100 <laughs> billion if you mow my lawn. We just we can't conceive of it. The Seattle defense has stats that don't make any sense to me. I, I, I can't contextualize them. So anybody you can throw against the, the Seahawks looks pretty good to me. And, and again, it's the Shanahan offense. And Ayuka's passed the eye test, that, that really flashy touchdown he had against the Rams back when the Niners didn't have their starting quarterback yet. You know, I don't think Beasley has a major upside, but I love his floor. I think he's been a double-digit PPR score every game but one. And the game he missed, he was like 9.8 or something like that. 
the Edelman comp is right on because he's not a big touchdown guy. You're just looking for that base drum, that seven catch, you know, 68 yard game, something like that. He's going to do that a lot. Josh Allen has taken a step forward. And Tim Patrick, I, I wonder why he hasn't graduated yet from this. He's had so many good games. I, I know. Know, um, I know. I feel like I know. when I see you know, last week, I think Matt Harmon called Patrick his sleeper. And I feel like, you know, shouldn't the word be out on Patrick? But then I see the the rostered number and I'm like, well, I guess it isn't. You know, um, I know he wasn't that great against Kansas City. It did snow. The Chiefs defense is, is maybe a little bit better than people give credit for. And and man, what a fantasy menace that Chiefs DST was on, on Sunday. I mean, I you know, just not, not only did they score a bunch of points for anybody who rostered them, but they they got in the way of Mahomes and all those guys scoring points because they, they weren't on the field. So right, right. I, we know Drew Locke is nothing special, but uh, I think Tim Patrick is a very playable guy. The thing with Aguilar is there's been so many stops and starts to his career. I know he's got the first round pedigree. He's bounced around a lot. I'm just afraid there's other talented players there. And some weeks it's going to be Renfro. And, and obviously Waller is an elite tight end. And we saw Ruggs make the highlight play against the Chiefs a few weeks ago. I'm just afraid Aguilar could have like three targets on Sunday and I wouldn't be surprised. So he makes me a little bit nervous even after going over 100 last week. So I, I like him the, the least of this list, even even less than Higgins, who is obviously now going to be an every snap guy. So Shepard, Ayuk would be my, maybe the first two guys I'd look at. Uh, Patrick and Beasley would be in the next group. And I'm proactive about Higgins. I'm just a little bit worried that Aguilar could be a pumpkin. I agree with you on Aguilar, right? I don't I don't think nine targets are necessarily going to be there week in and week out. I would put Higgins in that group with I think I'm probably a little bit more bullish on Cole Beasley. I'm I'm actually I'm surprised that Cole Beasley is still only rostered in about 40 percent of Yahoo leagues. And granted, he's coming off his his best game in terms of catches and yardage, right? It was 11 catches on 12 targets. Uh, just a little bit over 100 yards. And like, you're right that the ceiling might not be shockingly high, but the floor is really high. I mean, the floor and ceiling are close, I guess, but he's been pretty bankable week in and week out. And Josh Allen does look to him a little bit when they get, you know, inside the inside the 15, inside the 10. He's had some nice highlight I, touchdowns this year. I guess I also worry so. that things could get a little bit crowded there because John Brown hasn't been healthy for a decent chunk of the season. Now you may say, look, maybe that's going to continue. You know, maybe John Brown won't be healthy really until the season's over. If Davis advances during his rookie year, he's made a couple of splash plays. They've had very little involvement from from Dawson Knox has been hurt. I just worry that at one point if Buffalo, and maybe this is a mistake. I mean, maybe you should just always assume that some of these guys are going to be hurt, especially in a year like 2020 where there's been so much attrition I just feel like Beasley, I feel like we're going to look back at this season and say, oh, yeah, you know, remember Cole Beasley was really reliable for about six or seven weeks, but then he went back and maybe took a step back in class. I, I feel like the peak Beasley has already happened. That's what I'd be nervous about. Well, it, it this all relies a little bit on Josh Allen being the guy that we that we saw in the first two or three weeks of the season. Right. And getting back to that to that level of play where we can reliably think that he can actually support say three viable fantasy wide receivers and and i'm cautiously optimistic that he can anyway beasley's been pretty good most leagues are some form of ppr i mean the guy's on pace for 1100 yards and we're at the midway point of the season so like maybe he should be picked up in a handful of other places before we before we veer to running backs i i do want to spend a minute on a cut like this is going to be like we're we're hosting a podcast in like 2014 or 2015 but a couple of veteran names that that popped basically after we after we recorded a week ago Antonio Brown got scooped up everywhere off of what I at the time considered non-news right it was uh, I think it started with Schefter talking about him being linked to Seattle which had been the case for like two months right we were hearing that in in August and September but he eventually lands with the Bucks which makes the Bucks offense and receiving core really weird scary in real life and and that much more of a perhaps a dice roll in fantasy so I want to talk a little bit about just you know quick reaction knee-jerk uh, impression of both Antonio Brown on the Bucks and the possibility of Des Bryant joining the Ravens. Got a lot of Twitter questions about him this week. I'd be very surprised if the Bryant thing happened. Baltimore's 5-1. and one. They, they had the loss. They did not play well against the Chiefs. We all saw that. And Jackson has taken a step back. I mean, he's still a wonderful talent. But if I were Baltimore going to their bye, I'd be like, hey, we're right, right where we need to be. We did not play well against Kansas City. Since then, Kansas City's lost a game. Maybe we'll have a chance to, to overcome them and, and get the seeding where we want. Remember, just one bye team this year. I don't think there's any need. You know, Harbaugh is a very strong coach and personality and just voice in that in that team, that organization. And, and they have really good ownership, really good GM. I, I just don't see that. Not that Brian, 
I think it's going to mess anything up if he shows up, but I, I don't think they need him. I, I think they're fine the way they are. And actually, I would say the same thing about Brown. I guess Brady really pushed for this move, and Bruce Arians was, was famously a few months ago against the idea of, of Antonio Brown being on the Buccaneers. Yeah. I guess he's changed his mind. And I'm kind of dreading this a little bit for fantasy because even though Tampa Bay right now, probably on paper, the favorite to win the NFC, that's been so much about their defense. And and although Brady, for the most part, has been fantasy playable, there's been this constant disrespect of the Bears. Okay. Well, yeah. Hey. Gosh. <laughs> I, I, by the way, I'm, I'm expecting. By the time you're reading this, I'm expecting that uh, you know McVeigh has beaten the the Bears by about 35 points on Monday Night Football. <laughs> we'll see if that's true or not. I don't ah. mean to discredit Nick Foles and his potential to, to shock the world again. But Tampa's done it. Hall of Famer Jimmy Tampa's Graham done it with defense, right? And and Brady, you know, been kind of playable. Yeah. Ronald Jones, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Fournette looks better than Jones on Sunday. Even though there's all this brand name receiver talent on Tampa Bay, you know, Godwin has been hurt. Evans has been in and out as effectiveness. It looks like Scotty Miller's playable one week, then he's not. Then you write him off, then he has a big game on Sunday. For a team that is, again, you know, one of the, and I'm not going to quibble here. If you want to say New Orleans is the favorite of Seattle or, you know, God forbid the the Bears, you know, or the Packers, that's fine with me. That Hey, the NFC's fun it as is. hell. Like, you haven't even mentioned Arizona. Right. Like, I don't know, the whole it NFC West. It is a far, very yeah. fun division. But if you had told me that Tampa Bay, you know, I, I was out of the country for a couple of months. And, oh, you know, Brady's playing well and the, <laughs> the team is one of the one of the main Super Bowl challenges. I'd be like, oh, Godwin going crazy? Well, not really. Oh, Mike Evans then. He's really clicking, huh? Well. And not exactly. Well, did the Fournette thing work out? Well, kind of yes, kind of no. Oh, Ronald Jones, what about him? And, you know, you, you can play him. At least Gronkowski. At least the one guy in, T- in Tampa Bay now who I feel like is easy to project is Gronkowski. I think every week he's going to have like four to six catches, you know, 45 to six, 65 yards, maybe a touchdown, which is a tight end is you'll take that. I would take that on any of my teams. But I think Tampa Bay is going to be a pain in the neck. I think there's going to be a boom and bust offense where Brady will not have a featured guy. They're not going to dump targets on anybody. And it's going to be Chris Godwin. Oh, yeah. How did he only get four targets last week? And then the next game he gets 13. I think it's going to be a very difficult team to project for fantasy purposes if Brown clicks and, and sticks with the team for two months or even if Brown goes away. I think this is a very difficult team to project. Yeah, we're we're clearly assuming a lot when we when we actually try to project a half season of Antonio Brown because he would need to legitimately stick for like the back half of the season. So let's let's just say that happens. I think it I think it obviously it crushes the the whole notion of all these guys that have been sort of at the fringes of addability and usability, Miller, Tyler Johnson's flashed a little bit. Like I think I think realistically that all goes away. Not not that they won't have their moments, not that Brady won't still you can't throw to them, them ahead of but time. you I never mean, see them coming. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You'll never see it coming. You know, you might react to it on the back end and then get a zero the following week if you try to play them. Like there that's that's over. Yeah, I saw a lot of people complaining about Mike Evans yesterday. I will say that Mike Evans like drew a couple of defensive pass interference flags, right? It wasn't, he wasn't like a total no-show. It doesn't, it doesn't look that great in the box score, but there was a little bit of impact there. I think we're still going to be playing Evans and, and Godwin, but you know, the one game that Brady had with Brown, he peppered him with targets and hit him for a touchdown. And then of course, Brown went, went away. So like, it's not like, like you definitely don't add Antonio Brown and then don't give him volume. I don't, I don't think there's any chance that that happens. So I think, I think he sees a little action. I fully agree with you on Des Bryant, I just want to say like I and I I loved Des like peak Des loved him. He was not great in the final season that we saw Des Bryant like, I don't know, go back and look at the game logs. It wasn't great. And now he's coming off, you know, not only a long layoff, but also a significant injury, right? The Achilles injury. So uh, I don't I don't think I want Des Bryant on the on the back. Obviously, every situation is unique. Consider how long it took for Gronkowski to start looking like a good player again. I mean, he he was a non-factor in the early yeah. weeks. So right. if Bryant or Brown join these teams, who's to say that it might not take two to four weeks before they even look like viable players again or they're ready for a full snap compliment or you know, the full usage? So there may even be – you may need to see that prove-it game before you even want to start Antonio Brown. And, and also, as I mentioned the defense earlier, there's going to be – Weeks for Tampa Bay controls the game on defense, and then they just play clock ball in the second half. And then right. Brady you know, finishes the right. game with like 26 or 27 pass attempts. So there's going to be a volume problem here. Long story short, 
I, I will say Brady appears to be the safest way to invest in the Tampa Bay offense, right? Because he's, he's I believe he's the QB six right now. He's a top eight fantasy QB right now. He's coming off a really strong week. It, it, this feels like one of those vintage Drew Brees situations where the only safe way to invest in the Saints outside of maybe Marcus Colston was uh, was Brees. Way to sum it up. Um, OK, let's pivot to let's pivot to running back because, man, we have some they aren't perhaps catastrophic injuries, but we have a whole bunch of injuries piling up at running back. Kenyon Drake has a multi-week ankle injury. Chris Carson had a mid-foot sprain. Sounds like he's week to week. Joe Mixon, a foot issue. That is ongoing. Devontae Freeman, if, man, Thursday night always feels like a million years ago, but Devontae Freeman got hurt in week seven as well. So here's a bunch of names that I'm just going to sort of scattershot throw at you and uh, you sort them out for me. Zach Moss, Again, this is another one of those guys who at some point was like rostered in 70% of Yahoo leagues, got injured, had the toe issue. I don't, you know, fine. You can't stash everybody. I totally understand that Zach Moss uh, hit the discard pile. Damian Harris, 10 carries against San Francisco, decently efficient. Uh, it seems like he's sure going to be touchdown dependent. Carlos Hyde, obviously, is the direct replacement for for uh, Chris Carson in a lot of ways. LaMichael Pirine of the New York Jets played 70% of the snaps, found the end zone. Gus Edwards might get interesting. Depends on the health of Mark Ingram. Otherwise, no Ravens running back is interesting in any given week. And uh, I feel I feel almost bad throwing the name Wayne Gallman out there. But again, Devontae is injured. They have a terrible matchup coming up with Tampa Bay. So I don't know that I would, you know, I don't know that I would even touch Gallman this week. And then the final name I want to talk about is Jamichael Hasty. And this is really because I want to complain about the Jeff Wilson game. Like, for, uh, OK, Jeff Wilson was great. The Niners absolutely steamrolled uh, New England in a way that we've we've rarely seen with a Bill Belichick defense, right? Like the Niners absolutely steamrolled, mauled that team. Super impressive performance. And we argued all week about whether it was going to be Jarek McKinnon or Jermichael Hasty, And then it turned out it was Jeff Wilson coming back from injury, right? Three touchdowns over 100 yards. I want to say effing Super League. It's a 20-team league. I faced Jeff Wilson in week seven. How many people actually had to go up against Jeff Wilson? But it is a damn 20-team league. And Jeff Passan started Jeff Wilson against me and I'm I'm going to lose again in that in that stupid thing. Um so please direct all your fantasy questions this week to Jeff Passan because clearly he knows things. Uh, you want to mention Super League? Did you want to talk about maybe having Alvin Kamara and James Robinson in the same backfield? That's by the way running back 1 and running back 2 in the yeah that'll, that'll work that'll work cuz we all knew James Robinson was, you know, going to be on the cover of magazines next year, you know, uh, <laughs> fantasy football, you know, 2021 get your James Robinson, but um as always when we talk running backs, it's all, it's all injury dependent, right? I mean, you know, is Drake going to miss multiple yeah. weeks? You know, is Carson not going to play? Um, we, we, we're not going to talk about the Packers, but Aaron Jones didn't play, which, which pushed Jamal Williams. We talked about a few weeks ago, uh, people were proactive in rostering him and then they got to enjoy that game, which was a, a solid game. They didn't get AJ Dillon involved a lot. So I would feel really good about playing Williams any week that Jones wasn't involved. Hyde percolates to the top of this list for me. Now, again, this is all dependent on who is in and who is out. And we're just not going to have those answers on a Monday. That's the way the cadence of an NFL yeah. week works. But I see Hyde, and I can tell myself a very reasonable story where he, he got 15 touches in that game, as it were, where Carson started. So Hyde's a guy who, who could maybe challenge for 20 touches in a week, a high-volume Seattle offense. Yes, a lot of it's going to tie through Wilson, but we know Schottenheimer loves to call running plays, and, and maybe to their detriment sometimes when they can't put, put a game away like they did on Sunday. So I see projectable volume for Hyde where, you know, Hasty had the um, the setup we thought where we wanted it, where most of it was hurt. And, and he he did have a really nice game after Wilson got hurt, but at, Hasty was going to be almost ignored in yeah, that game. He, he looked great when he played, but that was after Wilson had already just trampled all over the Patriots defense. So I, I feel in the teams on the spots I used Hasty, I felt lucky to get what I got because I, I feel like he wouldn't have done hardly anything except maybe some mop-up duty. He has looked good, but you know, Shanahan and, and Shanahan admitted after the game, look, we wanted to go load management on Jarek McKinnon. Of course, they're not going to tell us that before the game, like 27 NFL teams. Yeah, I think Mike, I think Mike Tomlin tells us right. the truth, and maybe like three or four other teams, but everybody else is just holding it close to the vest. Yeah, you know, they almost don't want to admit they have a game on Sunday. You know, so what do you think about Sunday's game? Are we playing on Sunday? Are you sure about <laughs> that? Has that been confirmed by the NFL? So Hyde percolates to the top for me because I think projectable volume. Would make sense. Yeah, I'd be afraid. I like Gus Edwards as a player. I'd be afraid that even if Ingram didn't play, Edwards could have seven carries. 
Yeah, Zach Moss. You always have to worry in Buffalo that Singletary won't completely go away, and Josh Allen is the de facto goal line back. So even if Moss gets the double-digit touches, yeah. which is nice, Singletary is going to have a role, and Allen will probably be the guy punching it in. With Damian Harris, do you want to get invested in this offense right now? If Cam Newton's healthy, he's their goal line back. If Cam Newton's not healthy, they might score 10 points. I, I feel like you're going to lose on either one of those situations. So let's put it this way. I, I'm most likely to be proactive, depending on what you find out in the next 24 hours, 36 hours, whenever you have to place your offers. Hyde would be my most proactive guy. Then I think I'd go hasty because I think he's looked good in two straight weeks. And I, I don't with Wilson, the key is Wilson got hurt in that game. If Wilson hadn't got hurt, I don't know how you could play hasty with any level of confidence in the next week. But since he did get hurt, we, we know there'll be points against Seattle. Hasty would be my second choice. And then, man, I mean, your P. Ryan's the Jets are going to score 10 points or less every week. It's hard to trust that. I, I really right. think Harris is a trap because he doesn't catch the ball. At least he hasn't yet. And I, I don't. Either I don't want to go near that offense, or I'm afraid that Cam is going to bogart all the all the rushing touchdowns. I I feel like every running back you you start, you need to be tell yourself a story that he can catch four to six passes, or he's never coming off the field. Or he's going to get most of the touches, or he's the goal line guy. And I don't think Harris has any of that equity on this team. So uh, he he's the guy I think is the trap. Hyde is the player I'm most likely to be proactive about. And then Hasty, if Wilson had any injury cloudiness going into this week, I think Hasty would actually be a good play again. Maybe it sounds like I'm doubling down because I was pretty proactive with Hasty last week, but I think he'll have a double digit touch game against Seattle. Yeah, I, I should have I should have mentioned at the at the top of the uh, of the discussion of running backs that Wilson on his third touchdown uh suffered a high ankle sprain. So and it looked you know, judging by a player's reaction on the field is not always obviously the best way to judge an injury situation, but it didn't look great. Never looks, I mean, it never looks great when a player is hurt, but appeared to be in, in pretty significant pain. So I'm, I'm making the leap to Jeff Wilson, perhaps being out for multiple weeks. It's, it's sent in a broad way. It's the same injury that has affected Raheem Mostert. And we think he's going to be out for like a month. So they are down to hasty. I've probably got, you know, again, this could, this could pivot again in the direction of Jarek McKinnon. That's still, that's still very much a possibility because there are some games this year where Jarek McKinnon basically ran as the, as the number one there. But I like everything I've seen from hasty kid out of Baylor, nine carries for 57 yards after Wilson exited, uh, in week seven. So hasty is pretty close to my top priority. I think you nailed it with Damian Harris. He's not going to catch passes. They're not interested in throwing it to him. We know that is the domain of James White. And it's also just not an offense that I'm looking to acquire additional shares of. I'm not like, wow, how can I get a piece of this Patriots machine right now? I'm probably more bullish than you are on, it seems like Buffalo in general, but but certainly on Zach Moss. And so a lot of that is just tied to my preseason opinion on Moss. It would be great if we could just see him get some touches in goal to go situations. But apparently that's just all going to they're all going to be passes or they're all going to go to Josh Allen. That would that's really the killer there. I think he's a pretty gifted receiver, though, like he was a really productive receiving back at the college level. And I like they pretty much gave him the role that we'd expected in week one. And he definitely outproduced uh, Devin Singletary in week seven. So we'll see if that holds. Singletary has, I don't know, like, I don't know if they're hiding an injury with Singletary, but he has been off for like a month. I think his last four games, he's averaging like three yards per carry. We haven't seen a big play. It just never goes anywhere. And he was like, you know, for a player that I kind of disrespected in the ranks coming into this season, I, I, I will admit that he was a really fun watch last year. And he just doesn't seem to be the same guy. Yeah, I wonder... He had the fumbling problem last year, and they made it very clear how unhappy they were with that. And I wonder if they've, in an effort to prioritize ball security with Singletary, I wonder if they've taken away some of his natural instinctual talent because he's just so con concerned about fumbling. He hasn't fumbled this year, but where are the splashy runs? Now, let me give you a little fantasy one-on-one. -on -one. Anybody who's experienced understands this, so this is going to be a review for you. But what you do, what you're, the cadence of your week every week, okay, you, you put your offers in and you have your preliminary lineup set up and, and make sure you play anybody Thursday, get them in the static spot. You want to keep your flexes open. We know there's a lot of stops and starts in this season with, you know, with, with all the COVID stuff and there's been scheduling changes. There's been unexpected bye weeks. But when you finally get to that Saturday night or Sunday morning and you finally, the dust has settled and you know what your starting lineup is like. And maybe you might have added somebody on the speculation that he might be starting and now he's not starting. Like last week, you might have added Anthony Ferkser. It turns out Johnny Smith is playing. You don't need Ferkser right. anymore. What you should be doing every week 
is looking at the, you know, every team is different. You may have different needs, you have different strengths and all that. But I always look at the running back board and say to myself, who's unowned right now that is one positive break away from relevance? And that may have been in a shallow league that may have gotten you to Chase Edmonds last last week. In a, in a medium league, you know, Liz Lowe's our colleague, put a couple of players on IR on the weekend and Carlos Hyde was one of her pickups. And it was just like, hey, you know, he's the next in line on a really good offense. If something happened to Carson, Carlos Hyde would be the next man up. So I want you to do this. You know, Zach Moss, again, dropped in a lot of leagues. Nobody could have played Zach Moss last week. But you could tell yourself a story that, you know, could he be Buffalo's? And in the case of Moss, he could even just beat out Singletary. He might not even need an injury to come right. into relevance. So I want you every, you know, everybody's got a different schedule and everything. Find a time on the weekend where you can just audit the running backs you aren't owned. You, you know, once you've figured out who you need and who you don't need, and you might have had some insurance pickups that you don't need come Sunday or come Monday, or maybe even here's another way you might do it. Say you picked up a scrub tight end because you had bad, you had tight end problems. You're Mark Andrews owner. He didn't play in week seven. So you picked up a lesser tight end. Maybe you picked up Greg Olson. Now you're watching your game and you're getting creamed or you're way ahead. And Greg Olson is not going to impact your, your result either way. At that point, maybe you could have picked up Gus Edwards or you could have you know, on the bye right. week or somebody like that because the flow of your game has changed. You no longer need Olsen. So I always look for as much as this podcast is going to be about making offers and where do you spend your fab and all that. There's going to be the secondary market and the tertiary market is such an important part to being a good fantasy player. And I just want, I can't say enough. I want you to audit backfields on the weekend and try to make these sneaky pickups so you're getting them for nothing or next to nothing as opposed to having to elbow people out of the way when the value changes a week later. Yeah, it's funny. I, I have a couple leagues where I feel like I've had this. Uh, I, I feel like I've had Gus Edwards. I've, I've probably added him four times this year. Maybe I've added him four or five times. Right? Just have that that constant relationship with him. When that, I watch that, him, uh, I want to watch you'll more recall Gus Edwards. He runs over people. He is a bowling yeah. ball. Yeah, he, he's really fun. But it's obviously it's a three headed backfield. And, and I've talked about it several times like. It's going to be amazing if it finishes this way where Baltimore actually averages like 160, 165 rushing yards per week and they don't produce. I don't know. At this point, it could be they might not produce a top 40 fantasy running back. It's always hard when a, when you have a running quarterback who so much of it goes to him. Um, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Jackson's so talented, you would never want to take that out of his game, especially in a league where they've legislated quarterback hits out of the game. And the players are really proactive with sliding, running out of, de- out of bounds. I don't know how you stop Kyler Murray. And, you know, Wilson had a couple of great runs on Sunday night, too. Shoot, Kyler Murray is having Lamar Jackson's season from 2019, except with more rushing touchdowns. He's at seven rushing he's, touchdowns. Already. He's a secondary MVP candidate right now. Wilson's MVP. You know, yeah. I, I know it's silly to def- decide an MVP in week six or week seven. We, we know Wilson so has been the Foles, favorite. Foles and then the Wilson Murray tier. Right. Well, if the Bears go 14 and two, I, I guess you're going to have to have a, a, a <laughs> Chicago MVP. And I, I, I'm assuming, you know, as much as Brad Evans might want to say David Montgomery is the MVP or I think Harmon's <laughs> probably pr- promoting Allen Robinson. But uh, you're saying Foles is, is the real the secret of the success there? I mean, he's the glue, right? Hey, they're, the undefeated glue. With Trubis- they're undefeated right, with Trubisky. So say what you want. Foles has a loss on his on his resume. The last I checked, Mitch Trubisky undefeated in 2020. That's actually a good pivot to the uh, potential quarterback ads. Um, and I've just got a handful of names for you. I, w- I want to talk about Tua separately because I don't think he's a particularly good ad right now at all in, sta- in leagues of standard configuration. But let's talk about just a handful of guys that might get interesting for week eight. I'm going to throw out Teddy Bridgewater. No, shit. he's, you know, multiple touchdowns in three of his last four games. And he's got Atlanta coming up. So nobody blows that matchup. Um, Teddy's a good ad. Derek Carr got Cleveland on deck and Jimmy Garoppolo, who just did not look great at all. But he's got Seattle coming up and, and Seattle is just hemorrhaging passing yards, right? 270 per week. And then Baker Mayfield coming off this incredible game, but losing his uh, number one receiver. How do you how do you sort that group? I don't know what's going to take for Bridgewater to graduate from this program. He's got, I know Mike Davis has kind of come back to earth in recent weeks, but DJ Moore's terrific and Robbie Anderson's terrific. And we saw Curtis Samuel make a play. It was just really nice to see him back in the mix. We like Rule. We like Brady, who, who Joe Brady, who may be a head coach next year. Man, that guy's going to be a head coach next season. Yeah, this is this is incredible what Carolina has done. Like everybody just meeting each they other won that for the game first time. Orleans, they didn't look outclassed at all. I, I, I yeah. thought that leading leaving that game, I thought to myself, if they played tomorrow, I knew New Orleans was about a seven point favorite. 
on game day. I think if they played next week, it'd be like a three or four point line. I don't think New Orleans is that much better than Carolina is. And you know, Bridgewater, I know there's a school of thought that Alex Smith was the comeback player of the year that just the moment he got on a football field. And I can get behind that narrative, but let's not forget what Bridgewater has overcome to get back into the NFL right, and to right. be a quality starter. And I think right now an above average starter. So I, he's surrounded by so many good pieces. He's making good decisions. He's actually throwing intermediate and deep more than people expected. The, kind of the knock on him leaving New Orleans was that he was way too check down friendly and he wasn't going to throw the ball downfield. That hasn't been a problem at all. So I, if you have Bridgewater, unless the other quarterbacks on your team are superstars, I, he's somebody I would be very comfortable rolling against that almost anybody. And the Falcons are, are not just anybody. They're somebody who will escort you where you want to go. So I'm, I'm all in on Bridgewater. The thing that worries me about Garoppolo is you just know Kyle Shanahan's such a great run game designer and you know they got – Kittle's an unbelievable blocker, and, and they have a stable of running backs. It doesn't seem to matter who plays there because we've seen – I said Hasty looked good. Wilson looked terrific. I'm the biggest Raheem Mostert fan you could find. McKinnon had moments earlier in the year. I just feel like, yeah, they, they may put 30 on Seattle, but a lot of that's going to come on the ground. So I don't think Garoppolo has a ceiling, even though Seattle, their pass defense is historically bad. So he makes me a little bit nervous. I think the Tua – you know, let's, let's wait and see on Tua is the right call. I, I don't think they're going to want to overexpose him right away. I don't think the volume will be there. And, you know, they kind of have an average th- supporting cast. You know, Parker was good last year. He hasn't been great this year. Gasecki just had a bagel right before the bye week, right? He, he scored the same amount of points in week six and week seven. That, that would be zero. So I, I kind of want to back off that Miami offense. And I think maybe Gaskin is, is the way to get invested there. But I, I'm not going to touch it. You know, Derek Carr, Andy, I'll be admit. When I've liked Derek Carr, I feel like he lets me down. When I kind of give up on Derek Carr, <laughs> I feel like you know I wasn't expecting him to do a lot at, at Kansas City. He pioneered a, a twelve-point upset, so I, I'm having trouble it's with the him. relationship that we all have with Kirk Cousins. Right? Yeah, he's yeah. kind of he's he's a Kirk Cousins guy for me. Where I feel like I can't time the Derek Carr matrix right, so I'm gonna have to rely on you on that one. Bridgewater to me is the is the standout here, and I think Mayfield would be my second option. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Bridgewater is the is the most obvious ad of this bunch. Um, no, but literally nobody has failed against Atlanta. I believe that every in fact, every quarterback. Well, the Bears are complicated because the Bears needed two guys to get to 300 yards against Atlanta. But every team has gotten to 300 passing yards against Atlanta. There's just no way it's not happening here. So I think Teddy Bridgewater probably finally breaks through and gets that three touchdown game against them as well, because that is just a, a pass defense with no resistance. I just think two is an interesting conversation because number one, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are are pretty clearly going to be star- like they're great. They're great. They've been they've been outstanding so far. Couple of couple of rough patches for Burrow. Couple of couple of learning teachable moments, I suppose. But he's been by and large great. He was he was equally uh, as entertaining as Baker Mayfield was in that in that great game in Week Seven. Um, Burrow's been great. Herbert's been great. Like Tua was right there with those guys, sandwiched between them. Tua was good. Tua was was fun as hell as a college player. He's got a little like he'll take deep shots. He's crazy accurate on on some ambitious throws. So I'm excited about him. I know this wasn't the plan. Like presumably they wanted to they wanted to introduce him, you know, make give him his first start after their buy, which was originally going to be later in the season. But then it got bumped up. And now instead of perhaps debuting him against like the Jets, they break him in against the Rams, which is just no fun. Aaron Donald just, you know, might, might be in the backfield as much as, as Gaskin is that day, which, which you worry about. Yeah. Uh, but if you are going to onboard, the bye week makes sense. As you said, that them losing their original bye week probably hurts the cadence of when they wanted to make this move. And so that, that's why I think this is going to be one I will root for. I, I, I liked Tua in Alabama. He obviously had a major injury. It's an easy story to get behind. He's a yeah. likable guy. Um, and I think he'll be a good pro. Although you get to admit, if you're Miami, you got to be petrified right now that, man, did we screw up? Was Justin Herbert the guy we were supposed to take? I, I, I mean, like, nothing against Tua. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't played yet. But Herbert every week looks better and better, and he's played some really good opponents. Not that Jacksonville qualifies there, but he he did it against Tampa Bay. We think they're, they may be the best defense in the league. He went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. I couldn't imagine him looking yeah. any better than he has so far. Yeah, he's got a he's got a cannon. The ball comes out quick. He distributes the ball to everyone. I mean, he's peppering Keenan Allen with targets. But man, there's like a Jalen Guyton 70 yard touchdown. Every he's been super fun. But I think two is right there with that group. It's just not the supporting cast that you'd perhaps like. And it's it just it got weird with Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Like they were they were literally when they demoted their quarterback, 
they'd just won. They'd had a couple of signature victories and they were literally the only team in the division with a positive point differential. Like there was an argument that Miami was the best team, whatever, like by point differential was, was playing the best football in the division. In a year, in a year where they've expanded the playoffs, where there are seven playoff teams in the, in yeah. the conference. So while nobody thinks Miami is a Super Bowl contender in 2020, they are legitimately in the playoff conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, super strange timing. But again, some of that is is COVID and rescheduling related. Let's hit the tight ends really quick before we wrap this up. And I'm going to assume that you might still have Trey Burton at the top of the tight end list. Some of the other names out there. Logan Thomas has got touchdowns in back to back games, but he's headed into a buy. And look, if you use your pickups to address immediate needs, you're probably not going to be adding Logan Thomas. Eric Ebron at least had a season high eight targets. Uh, Harrison Bryant, a couple of touchdowns. We know that Cleveland wants to be tight end focused. Harrison Bryant was a super buzzy player during camp. Uh, I can still remember Therese and, and Charles talking about him on an early podcast uh, before the season. Um, so he, he popped a little bit. He was a great receiving tight end in college. Richard Rogers, I, I don't even want to get into the Eagles receiving core, but obviously Ertz isn't going to play. If Goddard can't make it back, Richard, Richard Rogers uh, could see at least a little volume. And they've got Dallas. Burton, coming up. Certainly my priority pickup. And then just because Bryant had that touchdown equity flash right away. And I, I would think an appendectomy for Hooper would be more than a one-week absence. Uh, he'd be my second pick. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can I can co-sign that. Uh, I can definitely co-sign that. I'm, I'm particularly interested in Bryant. Again, that's probably a deep league ad. He, he's still only caught four balls uh, from Let Baker. Let me also but point out, I, have, I don't know yeah. the ownership off the top of my head, but Irv Smith had a couple of quality games before Minnesota's bye. And right. I suspect oh, a, a lot call. of people didn't have the luxury if you'd even call it a luxury of holding him through a bye week. So, you know, Minnesota, look, they just made a trade with Baltimore. They traded a, a key defensive piece. I, I think maybe Kyle Rudolph could be somebody they shop. They've given Smith more routes, more responsibility, more snaps. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I feel like Irv Smith is going to be a staple in like the 12 to 16 range on my tight end board. And as you're navigating bye weeks and need somebody to pick up, uh, you know, especially if you're, you're going in the secondary pickups, I think Irv Smith is going to make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, that was a that was a glaring omission. If I'm talking about Richard Rogers, we should definitely be talking about Irv Smith. Okay, let's talk about a couple guys that we are dropping, uh, brand name players that we are we are willing to drop at this point. Why don't you get us started? Yeah, I'm going to talk about a couple of glamour franchises who are falling on hard times. I want to apologize. We talked about Andy Dalton and what his PBI would be, the P now backup index, and we were throwing around numbers <laughs> like seventy and eighty percent of. Of, of the offense, you know, without <laughs> Dak Prescott. I didn't realize the PBI would be zero. In, in fact, my scientists have now wondered if PBI could be negative. I don't mean to kick Dalton when he's down. He's getting no help. <laughs> the offensive line has fallen apart. Yeah. You know, Zeke, you know, the fumbling two weeks ago against Arizona. But so, uh, look, you're, you're probably not playing Dalton, and Dalton isn't actually my pickup. Michael Gallup has been so invisible in this offense. Even when Dak was playing, remember, they were kind of using Gallup as just the, the deep specialist, run the nine routes, stretch the defense. And then we'll throw it to Cooper and then we'll throw it to CeeDee Lamb and then we'll dump it off to Zeke and we'll do all this stuff. Even Dalton Schultz will get involved. Gallup is at his best this year has been the fourth or fifth option. Now they don't have a quarterback. They have a patchwork offensive line to the point that if you feel like you can block somebody, you know, show up at AT&T Stadium. They, they may put you in the uniform <laughs> and say you're playing left guard. That's how bad it is. I don't know who their quarterback is. I don't recognize a lot of their offensive linemen. And they really didn't have Gallup going even when Dak was on the field. He's like 70 or 80 percent rostered. If you if you don't trust him to play him yeah. and you can't trade him to anybody, I, I think, you know, you got pressing needs. You got guys who are producing right now. I, I think you get to let Michael Gallup go. I know he was a thousand yard receiver last week, uh, last year, but it's I don't see how it's going to get better for him. Yeah, I, that's a perfect example of a player who with Dak was still going to have well, I, I feel was still going to finish with a with a really good season. And the blow up weeks from Michael Gallup were, were going to be totally worth it. Um, I, I don't see how those blow up weeks are going to happen now. There's no there's like there's no time to get the ball to Michael Gallup with uh, with the offensive line in the state that it's in right now. Like to, to do the things that Michael Gallup does best. There's just there's just no time to do it. So I, I, I am on board with that. My guy. And this is hard to pull the trigger on. Actually, I've I've only I've only got this guy in two leagues and I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the waiver wire this week and he feels like my most droppable player. It's Julian Edelman. He had 57% of his full season yardage total in the Seattle game. And he has not like he's barely made the box score since then. Uh, his his uh, high yardage total since that time was 
35 receiving yards. He's been really close to zeros. And it's not like I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to jump on Cam Newton too much here because it could very well be that, you know, he came back from like he came back from COVID and that could still be affecting him. We've certainly seen that uh, in in other sports. Plenty of plenty of other stars were like affected by having had the illness. That could be a problem here. Um, but I, I don't I don't know when this gets better. Um, I don't know exactly how it gets better. It's not a particularly dynamic receiving core outside of Julian Edelman. It's not really a young player anymore. And I don't know how much longer I can wait for a guy who's, you know, at least with Michael Gallup, the ceiling, if he did have Dak Prescott, was going to be super high. Um, what, Like, what is really the ceiling for Julian Edelman in a Cam Newton-led offense? I'm not, I, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to let him go in a league this Edelman, week. Edelman, 34 years old. Hasn't really shown he I, he was great with Newton that one week, but other than that, they haven't connected. And as you mentioned, we we don't know. We have to speculate. Cam's come back from COVID. Where is he at physically? Where is he at with his confidence? There's been speculation he may have a hand injury, he may have a shoulder injury. And if you watch him throw the ball, it, like you, you miss fire on a few passes every week, but he's he's throwing low, he's throwing high. Uh, a couple of the passes intended for Edelman on Sunday were intercepted. I think he was only targeted three times. In fact, the only interesting thing that Edelman's done recently was throw a couple of passes two weeks ago. And, and that's how desperate the offense got. <laughs> that, you know, Edelman, a former uh, quarterback in college, they got so desperate they went to the win an emergency break glass play to Edelman twice. Not, not Shoot, just once. The offenses literally look better when Edelman throws to Cam. Like, Cam, Cam made a nifty play as a, I'm, you know, as I'm a ready receiver. For that. As bad as Foyer and as bad as Stidham have, have looked and as bad as Cam has looked, you know, you might have thought Edelman was their number four quarterback. I'm thinking maybe he's the number one quarterback right now. Uh, let's get <laughs> something going, Josh McDaniels. But look, 34 years old, never been a big touchdown guy, only one season with more than six touchdowns, even with all of his salad days with Brady. And, and now he's got a hurt quarterback. He's got an offense that kind of needs to hide things, maybe slow down the game. And then you know, even when things are good, they get near the goal line, they take Edelman off the field. He's not involved in the goal line packages. Right. So you're hoping for him to to catch five passes for 70 yards on a good day. And you know what? Like uh, Cole Beasley's doing that every week already. He's your Julian. You can, you can still own Julian Edelman. Just call him Cole Beasley. Okay. <laughs> That's the pickup you make. Yeah, I, I feel like a couple of weeks ago you could have attached Julian Edelman to trade offers and he would have been a little bit of a sweetener. But now I think he probably just makes it look worse, right? <laughs> you're, you're just trying to make him These somebody are, else's problem. Before the season, Dallas was probably the NFC East favorite. New England was maybe the secondary favorite after Buffalo, although some people still thought their over-under was nine wins. New England, I you know, I, I thought that was one of the stone nut unders of the year. And, you know, these are two teams. These are not the teams we thought we were getting. You know, Dak got hurt. The whole line got hurt. Zeke hasn't looked right. I, you know, I don't think they'd be any worse if Tony Pollard played more. I, I don't know why they won't go that route. I know they have paid Zeke, but you just have to expect every football season. It, yeah, they have, they have like 90 million reasons right. not to go that route. Every They're football season is weird. It's a snow globe and things are totally different than what we thought in so many ways. And you just have to accept the new reality. Right now, New England's a bad football team. Dallas is a bad football team. Yeah. And, you know, the, the great Josh Norris of Roto World says sometimes, you know, fantasy football is not that complicated. Find out who the good offenses are and get their get their players. Well, New England and Dallas <laughs> are not good offenses. We do not want players on these teams. Yeah, it's fair. I'll probably do it for this week. That's a good note to go out on. I hope we uh, hope we helped you kids this week. If you are interested in other podcasts, well, you've come to the right place because we have a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL pod with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. That's always great. It is a it is a sneaky good fantasy podcast as well. Um, check out the Yahoo Sports College pod with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, our good friend Pat Forty from SI. Follow us, if you will, on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am at Andy Barons on Twitter. That, of course, is at Scott underscore Pianowski. Once more, enormous thanks to Planters. Thanks to our producer, Sully. Uh, tomorrow, Matt Harmon, Dalton Del Don take over on the pod. But until then, we are out, people. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.